Uh, last Sunday night we began to consider just the value and the importance of the spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith or holy habits as we've chosen to call them. Those practices that have been given to us for different reasons and we thought about some of those reasons last week. For example, they help us train wisely for the spiritual life. They've been given to us to feed what often seems like our forgotten souls. Or we also said that they have been given to us to nurture not only our relationship with Almighty God, but through nurturing our relationship with Almighty God, they impact and they influence our relationships with each other. And also that through the practice of holy habits, we guard our hearts. And in addition, we highlighted the fact that in pursuing these, we actually follow the example of Jesus who modelled a life of withdrawal and engagement. Withdrawal in order to be with his father. And then out of that place, he was able to engage with crowds of people and individuals. And picking up Ajit Fernando's brilliant description of Jesus, we reflected on his life as a contemplative activist. A phrase which conveys this idea that the life of Jesus had a rhythm to it and a balance to it. This evening we are going to focus on two of the specific spiritual disciplines, two holy habits, silence and solitude. Now let me just say right now, there is going to be a time of silence tonight. You sort of need to prepare yourself for that. Because I realise that different people react differently to that whole idea. But I wonder whenever I even say those two words, what is it that comes to mind? For some people it's the hermits, mystics, monasteries, people who've got far too much time in their hands. And the thing about silence and solitude is, in the 21st century, they're not popular ideas. In fact, the thought of silence and the prospect of solitude frighten many people. Maybe you're one of them. Western culture, it seems, has conditioned us to be comfortable with noise, comfortable with crowds, but not to be comfortable with silence or solitude. Jean Fleming observes, and I think very accurately, that we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude are not 21st century words. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Noise appears to fill every available space in our lives. And therefore, silence is becoming more and more of an alien concept. When we jump into our cars, we don't seem to be able to drive very far without listening to the radio, or playing a CD, or making a phone call via Bluetooth in our hands-free kits. And when we're at home, we automatically flick the TV on. And I don't know if you've noticed how many people now walk around or sit on buses or run on treadmills with headphones on or in their ears. The rise of what has been described as the iPod generation. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of that. Of course there's not. But we do seem to increasingly struggle with silence. Maybe even we feel threatened by it. And as we begin to think about this, I want to play a DVD. 
So if you just give me a little moment to set this up and then it lasts for a period of time. I realize that uh, silence in a large group context like this is sometimes even more difficult and more uncomfortable than silence when you're by yourself. But I wonder how you found 10 minutes of silence. Let me pick up on one of the questions that appeared on the screen. Why is it easier to surround ourselves with noise and keep moving than to stop, be silent and listen? Let me invite a little bit of congregational participation. Why do you think that is? Habit. Okay, thanks, Richard. Okay, yeah. Thanks, Dorothea. Don't need to think. Sorry? You know you're alive. Thanks, Brian. you don't really believe there's anything in silence. Thank you. Appreciate it. You lose control. Thanks, Ruth. Silence is boring. Yep. I wonder how many of us got bored. Sorry, Elma. Yep. It requires discipline. struggle with these disciplines there is something within us and I know we do find it difficult and that was reflected in all of what you shared but there is something within us that I think actually craves silence and solitude that longs to find that quiet space to be alone with God in the midst of all the noise and all the busyness that occupies and assaults so much of our lives Mother Teresa said this we need to find God and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness God is the friend of silence see how nature trees, flowers, grass grows in silence see the stars, the moon and the sun how they move in silence we need silence to be able to touch souls and I think we know that and I don't I reckon there's probably none of us would argue with the need for silence and nobody would argue with the need to spend time alone with God. But actually practicing these disciplines is a very real challenge. Two years ago, I took 11 young people on a 24-hour silent retreat. And they weren't allowed to bring mobile phones or MP3 players or anything like that. Now, I'd been involved in youth work for years I'd ran lots of programs, I'd organized a whole variety of events, but as I reflected on that one day, I reckon it was possibly one of the most valuable and significant things I ever organized. 
And was that because it was different? Well, maybe it was. Was it because I'd never done anything like that before? Probably. Or could it have been that we actually took time, a significant amount of time, to be still and to know that God is God? In the next 15 minutes or so, what I want to do is just give you six reasons why it's essential to practice these disciplines. And then I'm going to give you five practical suggestions on how they might move from nice ideas to lived realities. This is going to be quick. The first reason is this, and probably the most important one, and it's something that we're going to echo time and time again, that in practicing silence and solitude, we follow the example of Jesus. We all know that immediately after his baptism, the beginning of his ministry, that the first thing Jesus did was spend 40 days in solitude. And the thing is, don't get hung up on the length of time, but do pay close attention to what Luke records was the result of those 40 days of solitude. Because in Luke 4.14 it says that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. In other words, solitude is transformational. You know, we often think, whenever we read that story, we often think that the enemy approached Jesus when he was at his weakest. And yet the fact is that as a result of time alone with his Father, and time fasting, and time in silence and solitude, that Jesus might just have been at his strongest. And therefore that is why he was able to deal with the temptations that came head on. We also know that Jesus often retreated to a lonely place for shorter periods of time. Matthew tells us that Jesus made his way to the mountains when it was evening to be by himself. Mark records, as we thought last Sunday morning, how Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark in order to go out to the mountainside to be by himself. And Luke makes the point that whenever day came, Jesus departed to a lonely place. And as we've said, Jesus seems to have had this rhythm to his life, a rhythm of engagement and retreat. Jesus recognized the value of these disciplines of silence and solitude. And therefore he provides us, his disciples, with a model or an example to follow. And if God incarnate, something we said last week, but if God incarnate needed times of silence and solitude, how much more do we? The second reason is that we seek silence and solitude in order to listen and in order to hear from God. And the DVD referred to that brilliant incident from 1 Kings chapter 19. Whenever God takes Elijah to the mountain, and then let me read what happened next, and, and Robel referred to this. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And as Christians, we believe that God still wants to communicate with us. God still wants to speak into our lives. But sometimes hearing the divine whisper above all the noise and in the midst of all the other voices that scream for our attention, it's not easy. And the benefit of solitude and silence is that they create the space, they create the context and the environment where we are maybe able to hear better, where we can detect, where we can discern the voice of God speaking into our lives. Someone has asked this question, and I think it was one of the phrases on the screen, is there a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our inability to hear God? 
third reason for physical and spiritual restoration. How many of us or how many people in our society do live life at breakneck speed, rushing around, never getting to the end of those to-do lists? There's always one more problem to address, another email to respond to, a text message to send, an expectation to meet, a decision to take, a person to see, a job to do, an event to attend, a website to visit, an essay to hand in, an assignment to research. We get up earlier, we go to bed later, and there's still not enough time. And our world, it would seem, has become the world of the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland. Now, here, you see, it takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least as twice as fast as that. And the result is, many of us are exhausted, completely fried, physically, emotionally, spiritually wrung out, family life, church life, work life, social life, all legitimate but all demanding. And in the words of W.H. Davies nearly a century ago, we asked, what is life? If full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. Silence and solitude are those disciplines that actually force us to stop. They force us to take a breath and they force us to find refreshment in the midst of our busy, busy schedules. In Mark 6, The disciples we read are just, they're wiped out. People have been demanding their time and demanding their attention to the point where they haven't even had a chance to stop and eat. I don't know how many of you can identify with that. Do you ever go through a day when you realize, hey, do you know something I haven't even stopped to eat? And Jesus draws alongside them and he says something that many of us need not only to hear, but we need to accept. Come with me. Jesus says, by yourselves and get some rest. You see, the disciplines of silence and solitude might just save your life. In fact, they may help you to rediscover life. I love this quote. For most of us as Christians, the danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. The danger is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And if at the moment you feel as if, you know something, I'm just skimming life and I spend most of my time rushed, most of my time distracted, most of my time preoccupied, then silence and solitude just might rescue you from mediocrity. The French philosopher Pascal once said, nearly all the ills of life spring from the simple source that we're not able to sit still in a room. The fourth reason. To seek the will of God. And again, Jesus is our role model here. Just before Jesus selected the twelve from the larger group of disciples, we read in the New Testament that he spent time, in fact, we read that he spent a whole night in a solitary place praying to God. And it was out of that experience of praying to his father that he felt confident to appoint Simon and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas and Judas Iscariot. If you want direction... If you're facing a major decision at the moment, if you long to seek the will of God, then maybe silence and solitude will be essential practices in order to discern God's heart. The fifth reason, to help control our tongues. Do you know learning to keep silent for extended periods of time can help us control our tongue all the time? 
We all know that learning to control our tongues is critical to Christ-likeness. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say that the religion of a person with no tongue control is worthless. James writes, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And to underline the importance of silence, take a look at this proverb. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. And as Henri Nguyen once said, it is a good discipline to wonder in each new situation if people wouldn't be served by our silence than by our words. Silence and solitude actually force us to stop speaking. And the final reason, without silence and solitude, there's actually no real point in looking at the rest of the spiritual disciplines, or many of them. Because without retreating to that quiet place, we will not pray. We will not study God's word. We will not meditate on God's word because we're not creating the context and the atmosphere and the environment to do that. Six reasons why we should practice this holy habit or these holy habits. But let me say something before I move on just to practical suggestions. Let me say something to those who are afraid of being alone. Because this is one of the things about silence and solitude. That some people struggle with the prospect of being by themselves. Do you know there is no such thing as solitary confinement? Because although we may find ourselves abandoned by people, we are never abandoned by God. The solitary place is always a God-occupied place. And so if you're afraid of being alone, maybe the deeper issue is that you're afraid of being alone with God. First suggestion for making these disciplines work. The first one is simple, straightforward. Take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your days. You know those moments whenever, for example, you wake up before you actually get out of bed and you're just lying there? What do you do? What about that short car journey? That walk to the shop? That quick cup of coffee? Grasp those tiny little solitudes and use those in order to commune with God. Secondly, do set aside specific time each day or at least on a regular basis for being alone and being quiet because those times are the lifeblood of silence and solitude. Now I know what some of us are immediately thinking when it comes to these sort of issues. Think, listen, that is impossible, David. You need to understand my lifestyle. You need to understand where I'm at. But you know something? Whenever The busier you get, the more important it is you find these times. The more hectic your pace gets, the more you need to plan spaces for silence and solitude. And as as Thomas Merton said, solitude is not something you must hope for in the future. Do you ever get to that place sometimes? Do you know, next week, next month, next year, whenever this is over, whenever I've got through this, then I will dary in these times. Then I will make time for these. As he says, unless you look for it in the present, you'll never find it. And I know so many of us do want this. Our spirits crave it. And yet the body is weak. Because it is far easier 
As John said, silence is boring is how we, we feel. And so it's far easier to flick the TV on. It's far easier to go online. It's far more appealing to call a friend and keep busy. And yet if we're going to train wisely, if we're going to nurture our personal relationship with Almighty God and then nurture our relationships with others, if we're going to guard our hearts, then it's these sort of decisions we must make to say, I'm going to set aside time. We don't make time for this, by the way. Nobody makes time for anything. We've all got the same amount of time. Can't make any more of it. But what you can do is take time. I often think that a life is like a day. If I'm careless with my days, how can I be careful with my life? I know that somehow I have not fully come to believe that urgent things can wait while I attend to what is truly important. You see, if I believe something is truly important, I will take time for it. And so what that forces me to ask is, David, is time in silence and alone with God really important to you? Because if it was, you would take time to be with me in that quiet place. And maybe it just is that I actually don't think it's that important. Thirdly, locate a special place. A room in a house, a bench in a park, a route that you walk, an open church building. Just find somewhere. Somewhere where interruptions will be minimal. Fourthly, recognize that silence and solitude always require attention. This is not about taking time to blankly stare into space. This is about engaging the mind. Otherwise, the likelihood is you'll fall asleep. Read scripture, consider attributes of God, journal, write prayers, meditate on God's word, actively listen, reflect on your past, dream about your future. This is not about emptying our minds. It's about filling the mind with God thoughts. And finally, do plan or try to plan a few extended periods of silence and solitude on an annual basis. Dary them in. Maybe we as a church could organize a 24-hour silent retreat. And in a society plagued by busyness and filled with noise, silence and solitude will not come easy. If these things are going to happen, we must be intentional about them. But they do provide, I want to suggest, they provide the perfect context where we can be still and where we could know, as Psalm 46 says, that God is God. I mentioned solitary confinement that there really is no such thing but what we've been thinking about this evening is solitary refinement and that is what these disciplines can help bring about I'd like to just lead you in a prayer and then we're just going to sing a couple of songs that pick up this need to be still. Be still for the presence of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. A song based on Psalm 46. But before they do, I'd like to just lead you to prayer. I invite you to close your eyes. This is a breathing prayer. It's called, I hope you maybe find it helpful. Breathe in the breath of God. Breathe out your cares and concerns. Breathe in the love of God. Breathe out your doubts 
and despairs. Breathe in the life of God. Breathe out your fears and frustrations. We sit quietly before the one who gives life and love to all creation. We sit in awe of the one who formed us in our mother's wombs. We sit at peace, surrounded by the one who fills every fibre of our being. Breathe in the breath of God. Breathe out your tensions and turmoil. Breathe in the love of God. Breathe out your haste and your hurry. Breathe in the life of God. Breathe out your work and worry. We sit quietly before the one who gives life and love to all creation. We sit in awe of the one who formed us in our mother's wombs. We sit at peace, surrounded by the one who fills every fibre of our being. You are God in heaven, and here am I on earth, so let my words be few. Let's maybe just use these next two pieces to pray, to reflect, and maybe even to make some choices about what we will do with our time this week.